Somewhere, we know that without silence, words lose their meaning. That without listening, speaking no longer heals. That without distance, closeness cannot cure. Henry Nouwen Bending, Not Breaking The Dragon Prince Edition Episode 4 Bloodthirsty Hello, and welcome to episode four of this mini-series of Bending Not Breaking podcast. If you are here for the Dragon Prince, you are in the right place. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. And let me also tell you that we have three seasons of a similar podcast on Avatar The Last Airbender, and we have special guests, including authors, voice actors, mental health professionals, and more. And if you like these episodes on the Dragon Prince I'm pretty sure that you will hopefully enjoy those as well. So, just FYI, I hope you know about it, and now you do, so yeehaw. And after this miniseries, we are lucky enough to be starting Legend of Korra, and we'll hope that you will join us for that as well. Okay, uh, if I may, I also want to take a, a minute to just invite you to support the podcast in a variety of ways. Firstly, the biggest and most helpful way to ensure that this project continues is to share it with people who will enjoy it. Share it with people who you know that would enjoy the content, because sharing with your friends and word of mouth is a huge help, and it probably does us the most benefit when you share. And so we truly appreciate that. Secondly, uh, head over to Apple Podcasts and give the show a review there because a review there really helps us get seen by people who might be searching for it. And that's a really huge help there. So preferably five stars and write something enchanting. And if it's especially wonderful, I will read it on the show. And uh, I might read it just like I would read this one. Okay, so this is from Amzim. A-M-Z-I-M-M-E. And this is what they said. A new way to watch and appreciate a favorite show of mine. I tend to binge TV and slowing down and spending time with each episode, looking for the message and lessons in it, has given me a whole new appreciation for this show and the immense wisdom that's packaged in it. The podcast is much like the show. Hosts are entertaining and mostly lighthearted, but packaged in fun discussions and silly discourse is big thoughts and ideas on how to live our lives, how to be people in this world, to be good to ourselves and to others, and honor the lives we're given. I look forward to every episode and it never disappoints. Have re-listened to many episodes as well. I love this way of looking at Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra and now The Dragon Prince. And it's brought immense joy and comfort to me to have this podcast and community at this time. And I'm just like, well, thank you. Thank you so much for that review. That was very kind. I'm really grateful. I know that Sunshine is grateful. And we're just really glad that we have an opportunity to provide something like this podcast for you. But for now, uh, I think it's time to dive into our lens. Remember, if you write a really sweet review, we will do our best to to read a couple as uh, 
they come up. You know, we appreciate you. And so, okay, the lens. So the lens today is distance. For this episode of The Dragon Prince, we're talking about distance. And I want to be real, I have always maintained a perhaps unhealthy level of distance from people in my life. I am fiercely independent, and I really just don't enjoy relying on other people. And this naturally ensures that I am constantly battling with the need for people and the fact that I have a huge distaste for relying on them. So like, ugh, six one my half dozen the other. I need you, but I don't want to need you. And ugh, it's just gross. I don't love it. And as you can imagine, it also affects my love life, or rather my lack thereof. And so, you know, it just is. I don't, you know, if you have a recommendation, uh, we can play a little game. If you <laughs> if you want to set me up with someone you think I would vibe with, I'll accept. Uh, let's try it out. We'll see. Uh, I don't know. I'm probably going to regret that. Anyway, okay. So, uh, speaking of relationships and distance, one of the things I, I want to talk about is this concept of attachment styles. Have you ever heard of attachment styles? Um, if not, uh, there is a book called Attached by Amir Levine and Rachel Heller. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing those names right, but that is that is that is that. And so that's their names. The book is called Attached. And, you know, if you read it, they can break it down for you in more detail. But here's the short version of Attached. There is a test one can perform. Uh, it's called the Strange Situation Scenario, I think, uh, where you can perform it on toddlers. And essentially, by doing this, you can identify the attachment style of the toddler. A toddler. So here's how it works. You put the toddler in a room with its uh, mom in uh, a room full of toys, and the toddler starts to play with them, and then the mom leaves. And what we're observing is how the toddler reacts when the mom leaves. And so there's, there's three main ways that toddlers will react. One, toddler reacts by crying and screaming for mom to return and just isn't satisfied until mom comes back. Toddler two reacts by continuing to play with the toys without too many visible signs of distress. However, there's a lower level of enjoyment of toys. They're visibly tense a little bit, and often there are invisible signs here as well. So there's a higher heart rate, there's increased stress hormones, and when mom comes back, toddler calms down but pretends that mom never left. And finally, toddler three sees that mom left and continues to play, and then continues to enjoy the toys, and then welcomes mom back pleasantly once they arrive. Okay, so these three styles have names. Baby one, the crier, is labeled as anxious, and baby two, the one who hides how they're feeling, is labeled as avoidant, and the third is deemed secure. And the fun thing about these three categories is, theoretically, they can also help people understand how adults handle their relationships. And so... I share this because I have historically fallen into the avoidant category. And I will say that I have been doing a lot of personal work that has helped me to become more secure, but alas, I still struggle. Now, why tell this story when opening up an episode about distance? Honestly, it's it's because I think that this tendency that I have has created a system within me in which I intuitively keep people at a distance for my safety. And it's it's very counterintuitive because it's not really what, what I'm actually accomplishing, but that's what I, I feel that avoidant tendency does. And 
Like I was in a relationship with someone many years ago and I literally said to myself, you have to rely on her even though you don't want to. And even once made up things that like I, I need because I needed to practice relying on them, I like made up things to to rely on them. I was like, okay, I, I'm gonna rely on them for this. And so yeah, I did do that. I I I was trying to cope, I was trying to learn, and ultimately it was an interesting exercise, but anyway, that's beside the point. So clearly intimacy is scary because of how close one becomes with another person, right? The the closer one becomes in terms of that distance, right? The the more vulnerable we become. And, but but it's a two-way street, right? It's like the closer I become to vulnerability, I also have to realize that the person I'm in relationship with is also growing in their vulnerability. And so we become vulnerable together within that closeness. And so that's really an interesting thing that I want to I want to pay attention to today as we watch the episode and I'm keeping the story focused like when I keep the story focused on me, I, I really fail to account for the risks of those who try to close the gap with me, right? I, I fail to account for the risks that they take. And so distance is everywhere. And I mean, it's an, it's just a matter of perspective, like time, space, silence, all are distances that I'm interested in looking into while we watch this episode of The Dragon Prince. Okay, so... Theoretically, you've watched. Theoretically, I've watched. And now we're going to do a short recap just to really put a, put the seal on the deal and make sure we're all on the same page. Ready? So, recap. On my mark, get set. I'm going to go now. Okay, so Rayla tries to remove the assassination ribbon. Doesn't work. Viren leads the funeral march. Apelli is mad that there wasn't a mourning period. Claudia gives Soren hot brown morning potion. Viren makes a speech. Apelli won't light the fire, but then Claudia does. Callum and Rayla discuss the primal sources and decide to go to the Banther Lodge. And then Ezrin dreamed of taffy, and Rayla drinks juice, not blood. Rayla sneaks into the lodge. Amaya shows up. Princes stall the soldiers. Amaya finds Rayla after she gets the primal source cube. They fight. Rayla's captured. Then they taunt the guards about the fingers. Then Ezrin and Callum save Rayla with bait. And then they are surrounded by Amaya. And the soldiers and Ez wants to tell Amaya, but Callum lies and Rayla almost gets shot. And then Rayla steals them away and they escape on a boat. And then Soren jokes about crown o'clock. And then Amaya interrupts Viren as he attempts to take the crown. <gasps> you know, I thought I was going to do really well that time, but uh, it, it takes a long time to get all the details. And with no one stopping me, I just keep going. And so anyway, that's that's where we are. That is the, the recap. I did it quickly. Uh, I think, you know what? I'm going to say it. I think I nailed it. Uh, what do you think? Can you do better? Uh, send us a voice memo to thearcofe at gmail.com. And you can share your recap or you can send us voice memos about like a moment about the lens for this episode. Tell us about a character you're grateful for. Offer a nomination for the lens MVP. We accept all of those voice memos and we'd love to hear them. So don't be scared. I know that y'all y'all been like playing with the idea of turning one in. Like actually do it because it's really nice for other people to hear what you're thinking so that this becomes even more of a community than it already is. Okay, so here we are. We have arrived. We are finally taking on the top five moments of distance. And I'm going to be real with y'all. Like this was a tough one. So it was especially hard to only pick five for me this time. So maybe I'll post more on the Patreon group when this when this comes out. I'll I'll, uh, I'll send my my episode notes and then we can we can discuss that uh, on the Patreon if you are a member and you can join the Patreon BNB underscore pod Patreon is a great way to support the podcast. Uh, okay, number one distance moment for me uh, in no particular order. 
So there's this moment right at the beginning where Rayla is really frustrated with this this binding ribbon, and and Bait is watching her. Uh, the boys are asleep, but Bait has his eyes on Rayla. And as far as she can tell, Bait can't reveal her secrets, so she leans in. And I feel like this, it's easier to be vulnerable with someone who you know can't speak, and that she shares her struggles. And I can, I can like, I imagine the distance this secret is creating within her, between her and Callum and her and Ezrin. And I, I just, I imagine sharing it with Bait must relieve the burden of that distance at least a little bit. I'm, and I think that being able to share that secret can relieve the burden, but I think that distance still remains, right? I think that distance is there until you remove it, until you close the gap. And I think that uh, secrets do that. And I think that's why secrets are no fun, right? And so, I don't know, sometimes secrets keep us safe and we have to keep them. And I get that too. But in terms of distance, I do feel that secrets create distance. And I have a potential Havruta question for y'all. I'm, we know that bait changes color depends on his, depending on his mood, depending upon what he eats even, but I'm curious, why does bait change color here? Um, I, I realize I should probably explain what a Havruta is. Uh, there, in, in Judaism, there's a, a practice in which when you have a struggle or a question with the text, the, the spiritual text that you're reading, aka the Torah, um, what happens is you're like, okay, I don't know what the answer to this is, and you ask it, but you are supposed to do that with someone. So you ask the question, you provide your logical answer, and then the person with whom you are engaging with provides their answer. And the idea is that the answer lies somewhere in the middle. It lies in the intermingling of all of the answers provided. And so help me with your answers to this question. Um, why does bait change color here? And my answer is that he feels and is reacting to, to Rayla's emotions and is reacting to that. And I, But I, I think that he actually feels those emotions, but it could be something else. Why do you think Bait is changing color here? He turns to a, a light pink, if I'm not mistaken. And I'm, I'm just, I'm interested in, in that. So what do you think? Share with us. You can send us an email at thearchivy at gmail.com. Connect to us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, etc. BNB underscore pod, or even send a voice memo to thearchivy at gmail.com. So with all of that, I want to take a moment to, to bless Rayla here for opening up in this moment and sharing her struggle and her burden. And I want to bless our pets that act as sounding boards for, for problems and provide us comfort simply by being proximate to our issues because being proximate helps us, helps us grapple and helps us lean into vulnerability. So thankful for pets. And I, I'm, I'm so grateful for, for Rayla showing us what it looks like to open up to to our pets, even though they can't respond. Um, okay, my number two, number two, distance moment. Wow, there was so much packed into this funeral scene, this this funeral march, and just goodness, like one, the literal distance of how far they traveled to the to the to the morning's place to the funeral spot, um, but also like just talking about funeral processions in general, how 
The funeral allows for people to get closer to the mourning process. And the tradition and ritual of that allows people to understand and process their emotions. It gives space to process. And what that does is it allows them to, to be closer to themselves. It allows them to, to, to feel what they're feeling. And it also builds relationships with those people who are mourning together. It's almost like a crucible, like through the flame, we emerge stronger, right? And I just think that's an interesting ritual in terms of honoring our shared humanity. Whenever we stand together in in the midst of sorrow, we are closing that gap between us and showing that we are all grounded in shared humanity. And I think that's really beautiful. And so I'm curious, does does the emotional distance within ourselves, i.e. when when Viren at the end of his speech says we have to mourn sevenfold, I, I wonder if this this mourning, this emotional distance within ourselves is creating this cloud of judgment and of rather not being able to judge fairly and correctly. Like, and I wonder if, is this what Viren is capitalizing on and looking for as he seeks coronation? Is he capitalizing on, on the grief and on the mourning and using that as a way to take him closer to his goal? Cause we think about the distance of our goals as well. And I just, I think that's a really interesting thing to question because like having seven days to mourn gives us permission to mourn, gives us permission to process. And if we that is interrupted, we I wonder if our, our judgment is clouded. And it seems like, frankly, we are living this. It is something that we've been lacking in the United States regarding COVID-19 and probably potentially the world. I'm not so sure about other countries right now, but I know that the United States is definitely lacking in terms of having a grief method, having a, a call, there has been no call for collective mourning, no collective grief. And we need it desperately because without it, many of us have been keeping grief at a distance instead of feeling it and, and feeling allowed to express it, right? And I think that's, a, that's an issue that this scene really lifted up for me in terms of distance. Okay, number three. Viren, again, is creating distance with his speech. And this time I want to talk about just the, the rhetoric that he uses. His dehumanizing language, for instance, like he, the vile elves and the slain by the forces of Zadia, vile moonshadow elves, and our king has been taken from us. Like this, this language creates an us versus them mentality, and it intentionally creates distance through means of fear and through means of dehumanization. And I think that rhetoric is intentionally trying to create distance, right? Because what's interesting then is he then like juxtaposes that with this painting of a picture of him being close with Harrow. He called me his brother, implying that family is so close inherently. And then at that, Apelli is like, whoa, 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 whoa. What about the princes here? Talk about family. And I just think that that, like, t- that closeness ties in really interestingly when you juxtapose it with the dehumanizing language. And I think the, for the first time in this in the series, we see Viren flat out lie. And at least for the first time that I'm like pretty sure we can improve. Like he lies to everyone and claims that the boys are already dead. 
And what he what that does is it creates more of a wedge between the elves and humans. It creates more distance there. It creates a vast amount of trust difference once they find out that they are alive. And so I just I wonder what happens here. There's just so much language that can create a divide and also close the gap. And so I just I really want us to pay attention to our language when we're thinking about distance as well because it's not just physical distance, it's also emotional distance, it's also mental distance. There's just a lot to unpack. But for the sake of time, I have to move on. Number 4, Ezrin I want to talk about this this moment where he shares his dream about the hippo taffy hippo, and like there's just something that really generates no response from Cal and Arela. They just like almost ignore it, and it seems like Ezrin telling this story created a missed opportunity from the other two. Like every conversation is a bid for connection, and Ezrin made a bid here that wasn't taken. And how many more times is he have to share without a response before he stops sharing those stories. And I, I feel like the world would miss out if he were to stop sharing those stories. I worry that I, I'm the type of person that wouldn't have responded either. I would have been like Callum Arela here, and I want to do better about honoring bids for connection so that I can close that gap between people. And I just, I want, I want to be closer to the people around me. I just, vulnerability is hard, y'all. It's hard. So... It is what it is. Help me. Help me by joining me. Make it easy. Okay. Um, Number five, my last one. In order to escape, Callum chooses to play into the cultural narrative of elves as bloodthirsty monsters rather than choosing Ezrin's method of honesty. And Ezrin is like, why don't we just tell her? And he's like, no, 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 no. We can't, we can't, we can't. So why do we distance ourselves from the truth? And I think it's because we believe the truth is too difficult. I think it bec- we, we keep secrets there because we think it'll keep us safe. And I honestly think we do it because we are we have the hubris uh, enough to believe that we're the only ones that will be able to see reason. And frankly, it almost gets Rayla shot and killed. And, and ultimately, thankfully, she catches on, plays the part. And But you can tell later she, that she's resentful and she's mad that Callum would say something like that, especially after they've become friends, it seems. And so I just, I wonder if we have an opportunity to believe more of our our friends and loved ones that they will see things the way that we do. And if not, that they will listen and that they will let us explain and let us help them understand. And that is especially hard nowadays, and so I'm not, like, judging anyone <laughs> who chooses not to. I just, that's what I want. I want us to, so I want us to do that. So a blessing for Ezrin for believing enough in Amaya that she would listen to him and that she would be on the side of, of justice for, for this dragon egg. So blessings there. Okay, that brings us to the to the next segment. What we're going to do is we're going to take a, a short musical interlude, and then we're going to come back and close out with our Lens MVP and some gratitude. So enjoy the music, and we'll be back shortly.
Dun, dun, dun. And we're back with the Lens MVP. That's right, y'all. It is time for Lens MVP. And just a reminder, the Lens MVP is this is the person who just exemplifies the lens for me, who takes the cake, who represents distance in this episode. And and for me, the distance MVP, I'm going to have to give it to Viren because like this was a masterful performance from him. He's a, a master of creating distance between people and also at manufacturing distance where there hasn't been any. And capitalizing on tropes and ideas and culture to maximize distance where he wants it to be. And I, I just, I think that Viren takes the cake for me and that's, that's my nomination. But here's the deal. You can nominate someone too. Who is your nomination? What about you? Who do you think deserves the Lens MVP for Dragon Prince episode four? Do you have a nomination? And if so, send us uh, a voice memo and tell us why at thearchivy at gmail.com. And if not, uh, just check us out on Twitter and Instagram, bnb underscore pod, just for funsies. We'd appreciate it. Okay, finally, this brings us to gratitude. And gratitude is potentially my favorite segment, which is why we end with it, because, you know, end well. And I just, I want to tell y'all that I am grateful for Amaya. She is shrewd. She is fabulous. The leadership, the the serious fighting skills, the general badassery, but um, uh, I'm just saying, like she's a boss, and like how, like, but the reason I am most grateful is for how she interacts with Callum and Ezrin. She treats them with with love, and 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 she answers Callum's questions so kindly. It's it's so clear that she cares about them, and her rushing to the capital to stop the coronation shows us how committed she is to integrity and her values, and she's willing to close distance in order to, to build relationship and do what she believes is right, and I think that is a reason to be grateful for the general. Which brings us to a close. That brings us to a close. That's the end of the episode. And just a reminder to check us out on social medias to, if you can, support us on Patreon. We really could use the help at this time as we gear up for our, our next season of Legend of Korra. And I want to thank the Arc of E. I want to thank Alex Mayfield, Noah Blanchard, Kira Martin, and Max Gongaware. And that's a wrap, y'all. Until next time, be well and do good.